Welcome to this week's edition of An Organic Conversation, a show about food, ecology, stories from the land, recipes, nature, sustainability, interconnectedness, relationships, and life itself. Today's episode is about the silent story behind some of our purchases. How often do we really know who made it, where it came from, how it got onto our store's shelves, and most importantly, how was it made? There's an amazing new documentary just making its round throughout the country. It's called Food Chains, and it is shedding light on some specific areas of the American food system. For example, tomato production in Florida as an example of what needs attention and what needs fixing. Food chains, the cost of America's food system, our topic in this hour, what's wrong and what we can do to help, as we are speaking with the director of the film Food Chains here today. That's what's coming up. We are your hosts, Helga Helberg. And Sitarani Palomar. Well, there is a marked absence today. A marked. <laughs> a marked absence. An absence in my ear, and that is the jovial voice of our third co-host, dear Mark Mulcahy. Yeah, Mark is on sabbatical at the moment, but of course you will hear his voice popping in and out throughout the year here in this hour on the show. So Mark, we hope you're having a wonderful adventure and know that you are missed and we look forward to hearing your laugh again soon. And happy 2015. Helga, this is a really special year for <laughs> you in particular. Remind me, what is 2015 all about? Yes, finally, it's declared as the year of the soils. Nations from around the globe have joined together to kick off the International Year of Soils in an attempt to highlight the importance of soil in everyday life with an estimate that a third of all soils currently around the world are degraded due to soil erosion, compaction, soil sealing, um, salinization, nutrient depletion, acidification, and many other processes. We have a very serious global food security challenge because, as we know, food needs healthy soil. So finally, 2015, the United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization FAO has declared this year the year of the soils. I've learned so much about soils since I started my AOC and organic conversation journey, and so much through you, Helga. I, you know, I started in food in a lot of ways and have come to understand that even my love for food and flavor, everything starts with soil. Yeah, I'm, I'm a great, great soil advocate. And if you work in any way in food, you cannot not be. Every challenge that we face environmentally or societally uh, in terms of obesity and, and health as a country is all based on our connection to soil. Healthy soil will grow a healthy nation and a poisoned soil will grow a poisoned nation. And it's wonderful that this has now risen to the level of the United Nations to mm. really make it a worldwide topic because it is. Well, what I'm going to try and do to honor this intention for 2015 is is um, I don't garden. So what I what I do to show my appreciation for soil, Helga, what you call the great mother, is taking time to silently acknowledge the soil at mealtime, as well as the farmers who brought me my meal and um, just appreciate them for the bounty on my plate. And you, you, you're a holistic chef and a spokesperson in this green movement. So you do grow, you grow awareness, as we so often <laughs> say. And with that comes the cultivation of the soil automatically. So yeah, thank you for that. And again, 2015, the year of the soils, among all the good intentions that we're putting into the year, whatever that may be for all of you, our listeners. You're listening to An Organic Conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. And our topic in this hour is a brand new documentary that's making its way throughout theaters. 
and film festivals in this country, Food Chains, The Cost of America's Food System, a quite beautiful, beautifully shot movie documentary, even though depicting a very, very dark story of what's behind America's food production in some cases. And what we can do about it, that's the topic in this hour with the filmmaker himself joining us. But before we dive into that topic, as always, here is our very own Sitarani Palomar and the update of what's going on in the world of health and beauty. Here's Sitarani Palomar and her holistic bite. Well, today I want to focus on something that's going to help you get on top of your New Year's resolution to eat healthier. Probably the number one New Year's resolution out there. And really, it all begins with breakfast. This is how you build the foundation for a healthy day. It will help to curb your cravings throughout the day. It'll help you make better choices. And I think that a really easy way to build a healthy day is on the foundation of a nutritious smoothie. This recipe is something that I've shared on air before, and it's really popular because of its versatility. It's a base recipe with lots of different options, and you can get creative so you have something new and exciting to enjoy every day that you make it. So you begin with some kind of protein-rich liquid, and, and you can use a nut milk or a dairy milk. You can use a yogurt, which isn't exactly a liquid, but what it helps to do is build the nice, luscious base. You can even use coconut milk if you would like. And if you're interested in amping up the protein, which is another great way to curb cravings throughout the day and balance your blood sugar, you can add a serving of protein powder, like rice protein or hemp protein. Those tend to be, tend to be favorites. And then add some healthy fat. Fat satiates. So if you add a quarter cup or a quarter of an avocado or a couple of tablespoons of coconut oil or nut butter. You've got a lot of different varieties to give good flavor. And avocado is great with sweet things because it just adds, like I said, a nice luscious texture. Amp all of this up by adding some omega-3s, which are so healthy and necessary in balance with all of the omega-6s that we get in our diet. And a good source of omega-3 would be flaxseed or hemp seed. You could use either of those in your smoothie. You could also use flax or hemp oil. And then add your complex carbohydrates and your vitamins and minerals in the form of dark leafy greens, a nice handful of dark leafy greens, and then a cup of fresh or frozen fruit. And depending on which fruit I use, I like to add lemon juice if it's not a very tart fruit because you want a good balance. So something like berries tends to have enough tartness, but mangoes and peaches might benefit from a little bit of lemon juice. Then the last thing that you do to add a different variety of flavor is experiment with some spices. You can do cinnamon, cardamom, star anise, vanilla bean, anything that you enjoy that will go well with the other things you put in your smoothie. And then if you need a little bit of sweetness, which is completely optional, it'll depend on what you use to build your smoothie throughout you can add some honey or a few drops of liquid stevia, which is really easy to incorporate. Then blend it up with a couple of ice cubes and enough water or coconut water to get the consistency that you're looking for. And voila, you're getting all of your macronutrients, lots of fiber. This is really a delicious way to satiate yourself through lunch or your mid-afternoon snack and prevent you from cramming in bagels and all kinds of high carb, particularly processed carbohydrates at breakfast time. That's your holistic bite. Thank you, Sita. Yeah, what I love about that start, it's it's so important. We've said it on many shows throughout the year and years. Start your morning off right. And I have this tradition of tea, uh, maybe a black tea, maybe an herbal tea, depending on what I need and how I slept with some honey and then some protein, hemp milk, soy milk. To, to at least have something in my stomach. But so often in so many years, I just left the house in the morning with without anything really that I've ingested. And a smoothie seems like a really quick, really nourishing way to, to ha have the first three hours covered. Yes, I, love that. I, I think that's really important because there seems to be, at, at least in, in my opinion, the, the misperception that if you skip breakfast, you're reducing your calorie intake in a way that will positively benefit your weight loss efforts. But ultimately, you need to feed yourself in order to keep your metabolism going strong to burn the calories that you eat. And the most important calories, I've read from a lot of different nutritionists, of course, people have different ideas about this, but the calories that you eat in the morning will help get your metabolism 
metabolism going so you can better burn the calories you eat throughout the day. Yeah, and even if you, you know, don't sleep your full 10 hours that many of us need, but you do need to break your fast. Overnight, mm -hmm. your last meal was maybe six or seven or eight o'clock at night. And if you leave the house at eight and get to work and have a coffee first, you actually never broke your fast. Your body is still in this kind of fasting, starvation mode overnight that you were in. And at one point, you need to give your body the signal that you're actually officially breaking it. It's better to skip dinner than to skip breakfast if you want to skip something. Thank you for that, Sita. That's Chef Sita, or aka Sitarani Palomar, with her holistic bite. Food chains, the cost of America's food system, our topic in this hour. What's wrong and what we can do to help as we are speaking with the director of a new film, Food Chains, that is making its way through theaters throughout the country right now. And he's our guest here today in this hour of an organic conversation. I'm your host, Helga Helbert. And Sitarani Palomar. And we'll be right back with more. Stay tuned. Are you interested in making healthy food your profession? Bowman College is a leader in the field of holistic nutrition and culinary arts. Their professional training programs prepare individuals for successful careers as nutrition consultants and natural chefs. Study at one of four locations in California and Colorado or learn from home in a self-paced mentor distance learning program. Find out more about their classes on holistic nutrition and culinary arts at bowmancollege.org. That's B-A-U-M-A-N college.org. And we are back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. And I'm Sita Rani Palomar. Today's episode here on an organic conversation is about the silent story behind some of our food purchases. How often do we really know who made it, where our food came from, how it got onto our store's shelves, and most importantly, how was it made? There's an amazing new documentary that's making its round throughout the country. It's called Food Chains. And it's shedding light on one specific area of the American food system as an example of what needs our attention and fixing. In this case, tomato production in Florida, among other topics covered in this new documentary, Food Chains. The cost of America's food system, our topic, and we are speaking with the filmmaker now who's joining us from New York, Sanjay Raval. Sanjay, are you with us? Yes, I am. Thank you very much for having me. Oh, it's it's such a pleasure. It really is. And Sanjay, this film is really monumental. It, it It's shedding light on what we talk about, the real cost of production and who's getting overlooked. Before we dive into the details about the film itself, though, we would love to hear from you. Why was this so personally important to you to make? Well, that, that, that's an interesting question. You know, I, I, I grew up in California, uh, a child of an agricultural family. My dad was actually a tomato breeder for Del Monte. So I spent my summers in the tomato fields in the Central Valley. But at the same time, after graduating uh, from college in, in, in the Bay Area, I moved to New York for a reason why most people don't move to New York, and that was to, to find inner peace, specifically to study with an Indian teacher named Sri Chinmoy. And Sri Chinmoy got me really involved with human rights work overseas, and I'd seen a lot of, of just horrible transgressions, particularly in agriculture. And I was shocked in 2011 when I read a great book uh, called Tomato Land by Barry Estabrook, which highlighted the myriad issues that farm workers in our country still face. And that kind of brought all these ideas of human rights, of spirituality, of being from an agricultural family home. Yeah, we were just talking in the beginning of this episode that 2015 is the year of the soils. The United Nations uh, Food and Agriculture Organization has declared that this year is the year of the soils and, and really emphasizing the importance of, of soils, agricultural soils, particularly around the world, with one third of all soils being degraded to some degree and impacted. And that's really a food security issue. There are many topics in agriculture that we cover that need our attention. Tell us the story about the film in a nutshell. We want to encourage people to watch it in full length. But what did you find? You know, it's easy for all of us as consumers to be narrowly focused in how we look at the food system. Obviously, food is something that is a, a basic you know, need to sustain life. And in that lens, most of us make our food choices based on the impact that the food might have just on our body or 
potentially to the future access to food that we might have, the, the, the quality of the soil, not necessarily because we're all, this is just a generalization, not necessarily because we're all so in tune with Mother Nature, but you know, if the soil quality lessens, our future access to food will lessen, and that will hurt us as individuals. But it's, it, it takes a, um, a deeper kind of thought process to take into consideration the impact of our food choices on other people. And that's the part of the conversation that we, we sought to um, inspire with, with our film Food Chains. Obviously, everybody's familiar with fair trade, and you know people who, who make choices based on fair trade systems are doing so not just based on the quality or despite the quality of some of the goods. People, when they make fair trade choices, they're committing to the lives of the people that produce our food. And I, I felt that in the food movement, you know, having grown up in, 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 in Oakland and Berkeley, you know, the, the heart of the food movement, the questions that we tended to neglect was how were the people that picked our food or milked our cows or slaughtered our animals, how were they treated and did they earn a living wage? Food chains, in essence, looked at one slice of that, looks at the people that pick the fruits and vegetables in our country. So out of the entire supply chain, from the soil to the seed to to the worker, to the distributor, to the grocery store, this film focuses on the farm worker and the farm worker issues that are very much transparent in, in some areas of production. It's fair to say that we had covered in previous episodes farms that uh, where the, the entire farm is worker-owned um, and operated or where, of course, they're getting a really fair wage. What did you find? What does is, what is Food Chains document? I mean, the, re the reason why I love your show is that you promote consciousness within the food system and you make it clear that all along the chain there are many, many hands involved. We, we see that both in the farming sector and in, in other sectors of agriculture. But one of the things that we focus on in food chains is that the reality that the people that form the base of our food system, the farm workers, are often abused and almost categorically paid extremely unfairly. And the question that we ask is, why is this still happening in 2013, 2014, 2015? I mean, farm worker problems have, have existed in the U.S. basically for hundreds, since hundreds. The sec yeah. for hundreds of years, since the second Thanksgiving. I mean, the first Thanksgiving, you know, the, the settlers, you know, had a, a, a partnership with Native Americans. By the second Thanksgiving, the settlers had already tried to enslave those Native Americans. So our entire food system in this country has always been based on a reliance on ultra-low-wage workers. And the problem is when someone is earning nothing, in the case of slavery, or very, very little, uh, which is the case now, there's a desperation for paychecks. When you're living paycheck to paycheck, you're willing to put up with almost anything. The question that, abuse, that victims often have to ask themselves is, do I voice my complaints or do I feed my family? More mm -hmm. often than not, they choose the latter. So in, in this country... You know, we have a whole class of people upon whose backs our food system is dependent who face routine abuses from wage theft to physical intimidation to sexual violence and, in the worst cases, modern-day slavery. Sanjay, when I watched this film, it, it was so powerful, the, the, the physical effect that it had on me, the way that my body responded to how I have been kind of complicit in this, in this system throughout my life, you know, living in the Bay Area and working in the organic food movement, I feel like for the majority of the time, I'm, I'm operating in a way that's upholding my values throughout the entire supply chain. But there are so many hidden things happening that 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 begin at the field level before it even makes it to your plate. And I think that when you talk about slavery and about how this really is modern day slavery, that that was so eye opening for me. I'm wondering there there are brilliant brilliant statistics throughout the film that that cause that kind of reaction that bring that certain awareness and that desire to no longer be complicit in a system that you were kind of ignorant of for many years. In your experience talking about this issue with people all around the globe, what information once it's out in the open 
and, and heard by consumers has the greatest effect on their understanding of the problem? But, you know, the, the, that's a great, great analysis, Sita. Well, one of the things that I think is most astounding to consumers is the power of grocery stores. I mean, we, we all try our best to buy from local systems and to, you know, to, to know our farmers. But the fact of the matter is 95% of the food that's consumed in America is, is purchased by a gigantic supply chain or consumed by those supply chains, whether it's through large mass market grocery stores or through large restaurant chains. If you take a tomato, for example, the tomato might, a tomato might retail for $1.99 or $2 per pound um, on average at any store. The farm worker who picked that tomato will earn between one and two cents. And that's the case for workers in almost every commodity. They're earning pennies on the dollar. And those wages have remained stagnant in terms of real dollars um, since the 1970s. And when you take into account inflation, farm worker wages should be around $21 an hour, whereas they're lucky to make minimum wage. So the fact of the matter is the grocery store system and those, these large supply chains have slowly and steadily drained the entire system of revenue to the effect that now farmers themselves are earning about half as much in terms of profits as they did 20 years ago. And there's absolutely no margin, even amongst the most conscious, willing, worker-oriented farmers, to raise wages. And that's not just in the conventional produce world. That's in the organic produce world, too. Hmm. One of the saddest things I learned in this whole process that was that by buying organic, I'm not necessarily supporting fair labor. The hmm. organic standard has nothing to do with fair labor or fair wages. Um, and I think that's something that we, as, as part of the, the organic and local movement, need to change. Yes, and we are speaking with Sanjay Rawal in this hour here on An Organic Conversation. He's the director of Food Chains, foodchainsfilm.com, for more information, who's joining us today from New York. Uh, it's a new documentary that is looking at the entire food supply chain and is shedding light on the most overlooked aspect for hundreds of years in the production of food, which is the farm worker. Sanjay, stay with us. We'll take a quick break, but we want to talk more about the issue of, of fair trade and fair pay when we come back in just a minute. Stay tuned. Are you a chef, have a catering business, or planning a party, or simply just love organic produce? If you're in the San Francisco Bay Area, walk right in to Earl's Organic Produce. Anyone can buy directly from us at wholesale prices. You don't have to be a natural food store to enjoy the freshest and most delicious organic produce. We are located on the San Francisco Produce Market at 2101 Gerald Avenue. We look forward to seeing you. Walk-in hours are Monday through Friday throughout the night from 10 p.m. to 10 a.m. Minimum purchase is one box or flat, cash or checks only. For more information, visit earlsorganic.com. Fry Vineyards is America's first organic winery, family-owned and operated since 1980. Dedicated to the highest levels of organic and biodynamic farming, Fry never adds synthetic sulfites or other preservatives to their wines. Fry organic and biodynamic wines include delicious Cabernet Sauvignon, Zinfandel, Syrah, Chardonnay, and Sauvignon Blanc. Fry Vineyards Mendocino County award-winning wines without added sulfites. Available at grocery stores and online at frywine.com. That's F-R-E-Y-W-I-N-E.com. And we are back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. And I'm Sita Rani Palomar. And on the phone with us from New York is Sanjay Rawal, the director of Food Chains, a brand new documentary beautifully made, if I may say, that is shedding light on a dark area of the American food supply chain, which is the farm workers. Uh, Sanjay, you spoke right before the break about fair trade and pay. We have seen this in coffee already. There's now fair trade coffee and fair trade chocolate addressing exactly that challenge where pennies on the pound will make the difference to a family picking coffee, it might make the difference of whether or not their children will have any kind of education or any kind of health care. It, it comes down to pennies on the cup. And in your case, with this documentary, Food Chains, you're looking at a small town in Florida where tomato pickers, as you said, uh, make about one penny per pound for tomatoes they pick, maybe two pennies if the season is really good. And 
their desire is to up their pay by one penny per pound, which would double their income, basically. There's an interesting statistic in the movie, which is shocking. The average family eats about 44 pounds of tomatoes a year. So we are talking about 44 cents per year for a family to increase their their food budget, which would solve poverty for for that group of tomato pickers in Florida. It is it is such an amazing amazingly little amount. There's a there's an aspect of distributing the responsibility among us as consumers and eaters. Where forty four cents, if you're a lucky day, you can find two quarters in the parking lot in the dirt. It is and and yet it makes or breaks that family's income and and economic status from poverty to you know getting decently paid it seems absurd and it seems extreme the market you depict is Publix in Florida that is just simply unwilling to speak further and many markets have joined a certain movement uh, can you can you talk about that a little more yeah, the, the, the film Food Chains is based around the struggle of a small group of tomato pickers in a town called Immokalee, Florida, uh, the heart of America's tomato industry. And it's a, a town that Edward R. Murrow profiled in his seminal documentary, Harvest of Shame. There's a group of workers, tomato pickers, called the Coalition of Immokalee Workers, or CIW, that had been trying to get wage increases, not from farmers, uh, but from the end buyers of their tomatoes. Um, and that wage increase is an additional penny or so per pound. Gigantic retailers control the entire supply chain. They've squeezed farmers almost to the point of, of, of relevancy. And at the same time, workers haven't seen their wages raised for, for decades. So the CIW is asking publics to pay an additional penny per pound uh, to subsidize their wages. They've gotten 12 other companies to, to sign on to that program, including Taco Bell, McDonald's, Whole Foods, Trader Joe's, and even Walmart. The astounding thing is that the cost, either to supermarkets or if the supermarkets pass the cost on to consumers, is minuscule. To double the wages of Florida's tomato pickers, a family of four would have to pay an extra 44 cents per year. And we did a back-of-the-napkin calculation that for every single farm worker in the United States to have their wages doubled from $758 an hour to a living wage of $14, $15, or $16 an hour, the average family of four, family of four, not individual, the average family of four would see an increase in their food expenditures across grocery stores, fast food restaurants, and regular restaurants and cafeterias. They'd see an increase of $68 per year. I mean, if we chose to buy all organic or all local for one or two weeks supply of food for our family, we, we could see that increase just over a two-week period. But that increase over a one-year period or a dollar a week for a family of four would take farm workers out of poverty. So that is a, about 4 or $5 a month. So that brings us to the question, of course, how can we help? There is no way of a family who's leaving a public market like Publix down in Florida and 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 add 44 cents to their tomato purchases for the entire year so if they gave 50 cents minus you know the the 6 cents you might have for for distributing the funds and and um, transferring the money or so for 50 cents this could be alleviated but there is no account where somebody can pay in 50 cents and then know that the entire year of tomato purchases is actually a fair one how how can people help what what things can consumers do to create a more fair food system there are two things number one we need to support existing farm worker programs um, the ciw's program called the fair food program is in existence in four major supermarkets now, Whole Foods, Trader Joe's, Fresh Mar the Fresh Market, and Walmart. But companies like Safeway or their subsidiary Vons or Kroger subsidiary Ralph's, um, they don't participate in the program. When we go to those stores, if we go to those stores, we need to tell the managers that they need to support the Fair Food Program. Now, the Fair Food Program is just tomatoes. That that's just one mm. tiny slice of a large industry. But movements 
movements don't begin with answers. Movements begin by asking questions. You know, there's a, a chef friend of mine who said that in six years of running a farm-to-table restaurant, he'd been asked every single possible question except the one that addresses labor and wages within his supply chain. No one's ever asked him about the mushroom picker or the person that killed the chicken. We need to start asking those questions of our grocers, of our chefs, of our cafeteria um, supervisors, just saying in a non-confrontational way, you know, hey, do you know if that strawberry picker or that lettuce picker, um, the ones who are providing us this food, do you know if they're paid a living wage and treated well? And chances are the, the grocer or chef won't be able to answer yet. But the more times we ask, the quicker they'll be able to conform their supply chain. After all, look at the amazing work that the organic movement has done over 20 years, transforming something that was a novelty into something that's almost completely mainstream now. We need to start asking these questions. You used the word slavery a couple of times, and it's um, amazing how accurate that actually is, even nowadays, to know that somebody is suppressed or threatened by Uh, their legal status or by their economic bracket or by their educational language barrier to use that to keep somebody in a system that keeps them in poverty is the definition of slavery. So it is happening. And I know the the movie took some time to be produced and then edited and now distributed. Has any of the markets that are part of Food Chains, the new documentary that you created, um, been come to the table meanwhile, or are we looking at the same situation right now in the beginning of 2015? You know, the, the, the film was released in November, and it's available on iTunes and Amazon right now, and it'll be available for DVD purchase at the beginning of February. Um, and it's in a limited number of theaters, which people can find out about on our website, foodchainsfilm.com. But just today... Uh, a small but still very influential nationwide supermarket chain called The Fresh Market that has five or six stores in California. It's heavily concentrated on the East Coast, the South, and the Southeast. They, sa they signed on to the Fair Food Program. I think the, the movie has helped inspire some of these large retailers that if consumers don't already care about these issues, mm -hmm. they're going to soon. I think we're at the tipping point, and food chains might be the first of many films that are going to be focusing both on labor in our supply chain as well as the power of grocery stores. And just as, as an aside, the second largest grocery store in this country, Kroger, had about $96 billion in gross revenue. That was as much as Google and Microsoft combined. Now, one can, uh, can, can argue that the profit margins of Kroger are much less than in the tech industry, but Kroger's supply chain is entirely controlled by it. Kroger has a tremendous amount of power over the farming system. And when you look at the company that does even more business than Kroger, Walmart, Walmart's grocery division alone accounted for more than $300 billion in gross revenue. So we see that the grocery industry in this country is pretty much out of control. It's conformed the majority of our farms to suit their specifications. And at the same time, Until the grocery industry starts caring about farm workers, we're not going to see a change. The grocery industries really only care about how a tomato looks or what a, what a piece of lettuce feels like or what color it is. They haven't started demanding yet that workers within the supply chain be treated well and be paid well. And that's our role as consumers and citizens, to make these corporations understand that our demands should become their realities. And that is Sanjay Rawal, the director of a new documentary, Food Chains, foodchainsfilm.com, uh, who's joining us from New York today. Food Chains looking at the story of a small town in Florida and the issue of tomato production and fair or absolutely not fair wages for farm workers as one part of the food system that is so often overlooked. Sanjay, thank you so much for being here today and helping enlighten us and our audience about this and give us some really concrete ways to make a difference. I know that you said you went to New York because you were looking for peace, and I see in the work that you're doing, you're trying to create more peace for more of mankind. So thank you for your passion. Thank you both for having me on. It's a, it's a real honor to, to be speaking with two individuals that are such pillars of the food movement, and it, it's, it's really a 
quite an opportunity for me. Thank you. Well, and it's wonderful <laughs> that well. we need we need your documentary in order to fill the airwaves, and um, you know we can help you get the word out. It's wonderful to hear. It's the most rewarding thing you said for me personally that because of your movie. And because of all of our work on the food system and with the food system or within, one store has now joined again. It's you know It takes one store at a time, but when there's only one or two left, they will join too. Whether they're convinced really that that's the right thing or not, but public pressure and public opinion is formed through exactly this work. So I also told you between uh, breaks that I think this is one of the most beautifully filmed documentaries that I've seen in a long time, maybe ever. The cinematography is gorgeous. So again, highly encourage everyone to watch Food Chains. Foodchainsfilm.com has a listing of where it will play in your neighborhood soon. Or as you said, again, you said iTunes, um, what other online sources are there where people can download it right now? People can watch the film right now on iTunes and Amazon. Great. Wonderful. Again, Sanjay Rawal, the director of Food Chains. Thank you so much, Sanjay. Pleasure to speak with you. And I already look forward to what you're uh, sinking your teeth in next, literally. <laughs> Great <laughs> to you have you. Thank you so much. Take care. Thank you. You know, it's so. it was so interesting for me to hear him say that the fair food program is just for tomatoes right now. It seems like the most obvious leap to create a fair food program for all produce. You know, when you go and you pick up your coffee or you pick up your chocolate, it's easy for you to ask your grocery buyer, is this fair trade? I mean, obviously, you can see it because there's a label on it. But if you ask, do you have fair trade chocolate? Do you have fair trade coffee or tea? To be able to go to the the fresh fruit section, the produce section in any store and say, are these tomatoes part of the fair food program? Are these lettuces part of the fair food program? That needs to be where we're going so that consumers have a specific and and succinct question that will address this issue of labor and fair wages in the fields. Yeah, interesting, really, to hear that fair trade, which is for coffee and chocolate, and maybe a few other items is fairly established. People know in the movement at least what it really means and that it's particularly about fair payment of workers mm -hmm. overseas. It has not or it has never or not yet made its way to a domestic produce supply. And it's surprising to hear the logical. I, I, we, I feel like we missed the boat there a little bit. Why would the fair trade movement not include now automatically fair food? I, because, you know, fair trade means coming from overseas, but it could have easily been, and luckily now through fair food, uh, it, it is including domestic farm workers just as well. There's, you know, farm workers around the world need that recognition no matter where your product comes from. Even if it's from the farm 10 miles down the road, if we don't know how the farm workers paid and treated, we need to find out. So yeah. this is really a global topic, not just for imported or not just for domestic food production. Great. Yes, again, foodchainsfilm.com. We're staying with produce. <laughs> what's coming up is the weekly look from the produce dock on what's being shipped and consumed. What's in season is coming up next. Uh, we'll take a quick break, but we'll be right back with more. I'm Helga Helberg. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. And this, of course, is an organic conversation. Stay tuned. Produce is ever-changing, seasons coming and going. At Earl's Organic, we have been sourcing solely organic produce for over 20 years. Since 1988, Earl's Organic Produce has been establishing strong relationships with growers and developing a deep understanding of the seasons, so you can offer the most delicious organic produce to your customers, staff, and clients year-round. For organic produce, visit Earl's Organic Produce at earlsorganic.com. That's earlsorganic.com. And we're back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helber. And I'm Sita Rani Palomar. Our topic in this hour is Food Chains, The Cost of America's Food System, a great new movie, foodchainsfilm.com. We spoke with the director, Sanjay Rawal, from New York, and it's making its round into theaters across the country. So check it out, foodchainsfilm.com. And staying with the topic of produce, we are now entering the world of the direct produce dog update. Here's what's in season.
And with us now is Earl Herrick, the voice of the San Francisco produce market. Earl, are you there? Hey, how you doing? Good day. I'm here. We are. We are good. We are. We, we are freezing. It's kind of <laughs> chilly throughout the country and in California. Tell us about how this weather is affecting your work and production throughout the country and in the in California, of course. Yeah. Well, it has meant that I now I'm I'm uh, dressing in layers and got them my hoodie out. <laughs> Uh, that's that's probably the big, one of the biggest things for me. Well, we really returned to you know quote unquote normal winter circumstances. That you know with with the warm weather and the drought, especially in California, mm. we've kind of been removed fr from what's quote unquote normal. And it is not unnormal to have freezing temperatures. And when you have freezing temperatures, there's different degrees of of problems and damage that that occur. And it's really good to understand the difference between a, a freeze, which is really about a killer situation, versus a frost, uh, meaning if it, it's not uncommon for, for, a, for, a, for a frost to happen. And what happens there, the biggest impact is, is you cannot get out into the field till it warms up. So when, rather than go out at 7 or 8 o'clock in the morning and start harvesting, you're not harvesting until 10 or 11. And also with the short winter days, you're ending by four. So the impact there is the ability to create supply by picking. That's one impact. Another impact is if it's cold enough to actually freeze, product is actually dying on the product or branches are, are, are breaking off of, of, uh, of trees. For example, down in Southern California, there was a, a snowstorm on the 5th of January, and that snowstorm uh, did a couple things. One, it was six inches of snow, and uh, the, the snow itself is, is going to be uh, damaging. That, that weight of the snow actually broke off branches, but the snow itself insulated the fruit and minimized the damage there of the fruit. Kind of mm. interesting circumstance. Mm. Uh, yeah, actually, I, I heard something like that before when grape growers or wine growers uh, need to protect their grapes from a short-term frost and there is enough water, they spray some water on it so that it forms, it's almost like an igloo. It exactly. forms around every single grape and it keeps the temperature within the grape um, more stable than being exposed to the to the outside world. Fascinating. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so you're saying it's shorter days still, getting out later because there was a frost at night. Uh, I know that frost or freezing temperatures can have a good effect on pest management, um, on you know several aspects of production. But we've seen extensive times of of unusual temperatures, unusually low temperatures. Uh, yes. How has that impacted production for you? Yeah, yeah, that is the killer uh, freeze. That, that would be referred to. So what that does is it, it obviously impacts the supply side, that uh, product is frozen, cannot be harvested, and, and is uh, discarded. That supply side is limited, uh, supply and demand, the demand is stable, prices go up. So what we're seeing is not only what's being impacted now, but you're also going to find the impacted impaction 60 to 90 days because you've lost that cycle of being able to plant also. So for a retailer, you're going to see less supply and higher pricing. And the prices on some uh, circumstance can be double. Uh, we actually went through a couple days of not having any broccoli, and we were, we were rumming, rummaging around in our memories as when had that ever occurred, actually not having broccoli to sell. So, uh, again, and that was about losing a crop, not being able to pick and ship. So supply-side Uh, strongly impacted, prices are up, and you may even walk into a uh, supermarket on a couple of days and not find very staple items, be it uh, lettuce or broccoli. Wow. So a pretty Im impactful, but very, very limited. Uh, again, we're going to see some impact in a couple months as that cycle comes around again of harvesting and having, having a limited amount of product because it was people were unable to actually get into the field and plant because the weather was, it was, the ground was frozen in some circumstances. Hmm. So you mentioned, you mentioned broccoli and lettuces in particular are probably going to be affected. Are there any other crops that we should be aware of as we go into our markets and look for, either look for the product or just look for the pricing? Good question. Well, one of them is zucchini, another kind of staple item. I've uh, been talking to one grower. So what a grower does is they plant in cycles. 
so that they never run out of product. So as one field is being harvested and uh, the next field is growing and the next field is maybe just getting planted. So in this particular grower, he had one field that he had been working on and was almost done and it was an quote-unquote older set and that got damaged because it was more exposed, whereas the newer set, the next planting, was, um, had more foliage around it, and it didn't get damaged. So, uh, so zucchini is going to get impacted a bit. Interesting uh, thing about this also is that citrus was not impacted. It was actually a favorable thing, like you were talking about, Helga, where the cold temperatures actually brings on color and brings on sugar, so we're actually getting very high-quality citrus right now because it only frosted, it didn't freeze. Again, there's that distinction. Yes, it's interesting to me. One would think that the United States is big enough with enough geographical regions and climate zones to kind of, you know, balance... Weather, weather each, the storm. Yeah, exactly. Balance each other's regions out. So, uh, that, you know, a freeze somewhere else means totally normal temperatures in a different part of the country. This seems like an extreme winter. And... And California, as we always say, is responsible for a huge portion of produce production for the entire country. So really, yeah. when, when we see, for whatever reason, freeze or rain or, or drought, um, a major impact in production, does it really go all the way to the East Coast that, that you see yeah. the ripple effect? Absolutely, it does. Because as you said, we are supplying, we meaning California, desert, Arizona, and parts of Mexico. And that, and the freeze didn't go that far down. It was obviously less freezing in Mexico, but it did do some minimal damage. But it, absolutely, because this portion, this geographical area region is shipping to Boston, is shipping to New York, Chicago. And limited supply is going to affect everybody. So this is really where your relationship with your vendor, with your grower, becomes uh, optimum. It's another, uh, it's just another example of of relationships in business where you're going to be taking you're going to be taken care of because you're there taking care of them. So yeah, the impact is all the way across. You were asking seat, you were asking seat about other items. Pretty much, it's the veg side that's being impacted. So think green onions, broccoli, beans cabbage to a degree, uh, cauliflower. Of course, eggplant and uh, bell peppers right now are not really around anyway. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the leafy greens, kales and charge, they, I wouldn't say they got, they got da they have more uh, damage to a freeze than a frost, meaning, again, some leaves got damaged. You may see some lower quality product, but at least there will be product. Mm -hmm. So that's the other uh, response to the weather is that the quality can go down because it's been hit by that that freeze right. and that frost. Well, I'm encouraged to hear that the shards and the leafy greens are doing all right. I'm trying to think, you know, as a chef, if, if we've got limited product on broccoli and zucchini and cabbage and cauliflower, you know, what kind of soups am I going to be making? <laughs> this is already a limited variety this time of year anyway. So it's good to know what isn't affected yeah. to the same degree. Kale, shard, anything else you're seeing in the veg side that hasn't been hit the same way? Well, you know, uh, tomatoes haven't. Because it's part, part of the deal is... The, sum, the veg, most of the, most of the summer type veg, think beans, bell peppers, eggplants, tomatoes, are grown in Mexico. Mm -hmm. This time of year, much of what's being grown is in a hothouse or a hoop, and so they've been protected. The, the, uh, the items that were not under uh, hoops got more damaged, and they were melons, beans, and zucchini. So look for interruptions in those things. But melons are kind of an off, are very much off season anyway. But beans and zucchini, I think, uh, on the unleafy uh, greens part will be impacted. And then on the green side, it's going to be impacted by quality mostly supply. So think very few items are going to be totally unavailable. Sure. And then there's yeah. lots of stuff in storage, right? All the root vegetables, yeah. apples, pears. Actually, we should talk about that next week, uh, about yeah. storage items and how they behave differently when you bring them home. But do these frost-bitten uh, items that you might find, like does a does a chart that you buy that has maybe some cosmetic blemishes but looks fine uh, because it got some frost, should you eat it quicker? Does it not last as long? Yeah. 
good, good point, Helga. Yes, I, yeah, you definitely want to do that. You want to be able to size, you know, quote unquote, size up what you're getting, kind of expand your allowable taste, uh, meaning what's acceptable to you. For example, a chard may, the tips of the chard may be what we call burned. Yes. So it could have a little bit of a browning effect. But the fact is, you just peel that right off or cut it off with scissor or, or pull it off with your hand. The product is great. Not only that, the product is actually really, really sweet right now because sure. that cold weather sets, <laughs> sets that sugar. So it's an interesting dichotomy in that sense. Uh, what you do get will be extraordinarily good. And so what you want to look for, again, is something that's vital. It, it should be supple. If it's, if it's too limp or limp at all, you want to pass on that and either see if there's anything better in the store, ask your produce person, um, or great. maybe just choose something else instead of charred right now, get that other item probably. And, and maybe product. and maybe eat it a little bit quicker than you usually would. Don't buy it and you want to eat it in three or four days. You want to eat it right away in the next couple of days. Yeah, for that reason and also because in three or four days the market is going to be changing again. Sure. Uh, and, and you'll probably have a little more available to you. Great. So right now, shop a little more frequently. Yes. I like that advice, Earl. <laughs> <laughs> and that's Earl Herrick, the voice of the San Francisco produce market and yeah. the voice of the organic produce movement throughout the country. Thank you, Earl, for your wisdom and consumer advice. So oh, cherished. We'll talk, with you. we'll talk with you next week. All right. <laughs> okay, Bye, take Earl. care. Thanks. Bye. Bye. I love shard this time of year, so I'm happy to hear it's not going to be too terribly affected. There's this great dish that, that I make with shard that you saute the stems of the shard too with some onions beforehand and then you add some allspice and some cinnamon and a little bit of paprika and then some beans not fresh green beans which he said are affected by the freeze but like black beans or chickpeas or that kind of thing so you can still get some good fresh veggies you're just going to cook them a little oh, that differently sounds like such a good winter dish doesn't it it yeah. is <laughs> Ooh, paprika and allspice and warm and or soups you mentioned soups yeah Yes. Okay, let's make some soup. All right. That was this week's edition of an organic conversation on food chains, the whole food supply and farm workers. We'll be back with another episode next week. Thanks so much for listening. An Organic Conversation is a proud production of the Organic Media Network. Associate producer, Kristen Ponger. This show would not be possible without the ongoing support from our listeners. Whether it's a dollar a month or a one-time donation, please consider becoming a patron of An Organic Conversation. For more information on how to support this program, please visit patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash An Organic Conversation. Thank you for your contribution. An Organic Conversation is made possible through listeners like you and the fantastic support of our underwriters. Earl's Organic Produce, a national distributor providing certified organic fruits and vegetables for your store, home, or business since 1988. The website is earlsorganic.com. And also Fry Vineyards, America's first certified organic winery, producing organic and certified biodynamic wine. For more information, frywine.com. That's F-R-E-Y-W-I-N-E.com. Thank you as well to Bowman College, focused on holistic nutrition and culinary arts for over 20 years. Bowman College offers professional training programs that prepare individuals for careers as nutrition consultants and natural chefs. Their website is bowmancollege.org. That's B-A-U-M-A-N college.org. If you missed parts of this show or for any other episode, go to iTunes or anorganicconversation.com. And for more information, health tips, recipes, and your daily dose of inspiration, please follow us on facebook.com forward slash anorganicconversation. We are your hosts, Helga Helber and Sitarani Palomar. And we'll be back right here, same place, same time, next week. See you then. Bye.